Still amazes me. Beautiful song. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's our theme passage for the year. Last Sunday we talked about adding virtue. And we defined it from the scriptures as courageous excellence. Today we're going to look at knowledge. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll start in verse number 5. Reading through verse number 9 this morning. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And right after a word of prayer in this song, we'll be looking at adding knowledge today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the way it works in each of our lives. No matter what age or stage of life we're in, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to build us if we will submit. And I pray that today that the Holy Spirit would go before and open each heart in this room. There's not one person here today by accident. And so I pray that you would work in a mighty way for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
meet my needs in every way with grace that satisfies. Lord, you Thank you, Sharon and Connie, for that. Yeah, they're great to see everybody here this morning. It's been said that ignorance is bliss and that what you uh, don't know can't hurt you. And uh, obviously, those are not Bible quotes, and, and it, sometimes that's not true. Uh, there are times where what you don't know really can hurt you. And uh, just some of you obviously have experienced that with already saying amen about that. Um, my son and, and I got back from a mission trip to India last Saturday night, and one day, uh, Pastor Banwell took us to the Arabian Sea to see, you know, he took us to the sea to see um, what was going on over there, and uh, it's pretty amazing because it's, it's almost a reddish sand. Um, most of the dirt in southern India is, is a very red dirt, has a lot of clay in it, and uh, so Cody was looking at the, the Arabian Sea, and we had a, a missionary intern with us from Memphis, and her name was Jana, and her name still is Jana, and we, we um, were looking, and, and they had some paddle boats that you could rent for, you know, like 50 rupees for half an hour, which that's a dollar, and uh, so they decided that they would try their hand at the paddle boat, and so Pastor Banwell and I walked down, and, and we sat on a wall that was by this little inlet where they were supposed to go. And they gave them some instructions. They told them, don't go past the bridge. That's all they told them. And the other side was the Arabian Sea. And then on this side, there was a, a fence that had been put up, but part of it had fallen down. And Cody and Jana, um, together, their intelligence in that paddle boat was probably not very high. Um, 
she has blonde hair, not picking on people with blonde hair. And he really has blonde hair. Um, even if it's getting darker, his brain definitely is blonde. And, and so they were doing their paddle boat, and they went all the way around the inlet. And they still had some time, so they decided that it would just be, you know, imperative for them to cross over the broken fence into the other part of the inlet. And they went over and they kind of, you know, they didn't know what was going on. They were ignorant. And uh, the people on the shore didn't really notice because they kind of, you know, just paddled in. And they were in there. And all of a sudden, we're sitting on this wall and whistles start blowing. And uh, loudspeakers, they're speaking in language that obviously we don't understand. Telling them, get out of there. You got to get out of there. Whistles are blowing and they're going like this. And I said to Pastor Benwell, what is going on? And he said, that is our NASA program. I said, what is your NASA program? Right over there. And so these buildings that they're paddling up next to, are, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but are the Indian Air and Space Administration, or whatever it's called. And they are in their territory. And so they're, they're blowing the whistles and waving them back. And they try to come back over, and they got stuck on a rock. And so then they try to paddle back, and they're moving all over the place. And they had no idea, even when they got back on shore, they were still laughing and giggling. And Pastor Banwell said, you came very close to being shot. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure he was joking, because I didn't see any helicopters or gunships or anything. Um, but they didn't know. They didn't have any idea. And today we're talking about knowledge from the Scriptures. There are a lot of things that we know about, and there are a lot of things we don't know about. And in God's Word, here's the amazing thing. What you don't know about God's Word can cost you eternally. It can. See, there are things in God's Word that you're just not born with this knowledge. There are things that you have to be taught from God's Word to know what they are and how they affect your life. In America, we have supermarkets and we have super eight motels. And nutritionists tell us that there are superfoods. And scientists talk about superconductors. And meteorologists talk about supercells that create tornadoes. We have a Super Bowl and superheroes, and even supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And today we're going to look, though, at super knowledge. It's not just a hopeful belief in God, but a dogmatic statement of a God reality. It's not knowing there is a God, it's knowing God. And today I, I want to show you the difference, because there are a lot of people who are going to churches all across the world today, to know about God and to know uh, that there is a God and to know all these traits about God. But the, the passage we're going to deal with today is about knowing God, knowing Him intimately. The Greek word is kenosis. It's G-N-O-S-I-S. -S, so I guess the G is silent. It's used 29 times in the New Testament. And here's what it can signify. It can signify general knowledge, which pretty given, you know, it's the word is knowledge. It can signify a basic understanding of Christianity. 
it can signify us knowing what is lawful or unlawful as believers, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, kind of a moral wisdom, knowing how to do right. But it can also signify a deeper, more perfect, more enlarged knowledge, a super knowledge, if you will, of Jesus Christ. That is the meaning in this passage in Second Peter. That's the ingredient that needs to be added to faith. That's the singer that needs to be added to the chorus, as we've talked about in, in previous weeks. And so I want to see four parts in your notes. They're provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And we start by talking about the puff of knowledge. The puff of knowledge. Human beings really like to know things. And you might remember in grade school, when the teacher asked any question, there was always the kid that while raising his or, hand, his or her hand was saying already, I know, I know, I know. In fact, you might even be the kid. How many of you, you were the kid who did that? All right. How many of you, there was a kid that you knew that did that? How many of you, you know somebody else in the room who should have raised their hand on the first question? Okay. Um, the I know, I know, I know. And even though there are countless things that we don't know, we like to think that there are some things that we do know. And so you may be the person who knows car models. And you can spot a 64 Camaro from a quarter mile away. I don't know if you're that person or not. You may be the person who knows fashion. And you not only know the names of all the famous designers, but you know when a person across the room is wearing one of those designers. I have to tell you, I don't have the faintest clue. Like that guy has a pink shirt on, which is sometimes strange in itself. Or that woman um, has a blue coat. I don't know if it's Dior or, or Oreal or Dorial. Is that a hair product? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, you may be the person who knows art, and you actually know the difference between a Van Gogh and a Picasso. In fact, you might be really in tune, and you may know Picasso's real name, which was um, Pablo Diego Jose Francisco de Paulo Juan Nepomuceno Mara de Loso Remedeo Cipriano de la Santissimo Trinidad Ruiz y Picasso. And so I guess when he got in trouble at home, it was a very big deal. Um, how many of you, your mom, when you got in trouble, she called you not by your, first, your full first name, a full middle name, and your last name? Yeah, pretty much a lot of you. Um, so Picasso is in big trouble. You may be the person in here who knows sports. And you could shout out the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback from 1977 or the Dallas Cowboys quarterback from 1993, or the first baseman for the New York Yankees in 1988. Uh, you might be that person. You might know computer language, which is kind of a weird language just in and of itself. You might know a foreign language. You might be the person who could name the title and the plot and the actors for every movie that's ever been made. And I'm here to tell you, that that knowledge, whatever it is that your specialty is, that knowledge and $3.50 will still get you a drink at Starbucks. Because that knowledge, even though we like to know, 
it's not really that valuable. It's just a puff. And we're going to talk about what that means. When, when we're young, sometimes there's this outward fulfillment of knowing. We like it when people think that we're smart, that we know things. And as we mature, there's still an inward puff of knowledge. We still like it uh, when we know things. When we were kids, our mom was always doing knowledge quizzes on long car rides. And I don't know if your mom was like this or your dad. And so she might ask them, what year was the Declaration of Independence signed? And uh, I'm sure some of you know that, right? How many of you know that? How many of you would be willing to say it out loud? Go ahead. See, it doesn't make you feel good that you know that. Now, inwardly, it, it does. It makes you feel good. Now, you may be saying, no, it doesn't make me feel good. But I'm, it's actually kind of cool that I know that. Right? Now, some of you even know, she might ask next, how many signers were there on the Declaration of Independence? I'm hearing mumbling. How many? 55. That guy is close. Um, maybe there were 55. I don't know. Maybe 56 or whatever. Um, but she might ask um, what the symbol was in the periodic table of elements for gold. As I look at you people shouting out your knowledge. Or she may ask, um, what was the symbol for calcium? Oh, my word. They're in a room full of geniuses. Um, she may even ask, what's the symbol for iron? She might ask what the answer is to um, like 5 times 5 plus 3 minus 7 divided by 3 plus 2 minus 1 equals 8. And the only reason why I know is because she asked so many of this when I was a kid. Um, she might ask um, us to spell a word like occupation or occurrence. Yeah, it's just all this general knowledge. It's no accident that Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge puffeth up. Now, we used baking soda when we did the first message in the series to, to represent knowledge because knowledge puffs up. It most definitely has the power to make us think that we're important or that we're smart or that we're something that we really aren't. Romans 1 says it this way. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Any knowledge that doesn't begin with the fear of the Lord is just a puff. I don't know if you've ever seen a professor talk in class or on television or in a debate, and you're thinking to yourself, this guy is a moron. He's an idiot. He thinks that we came from a cosmic explosion, but he can't explain where the ingredients for the explosion came from. He thinks that we came from an amoeba, but he can't explain where the amoeba came from. He thinks that we came from a monkey, and when we look at him, sometimes we wonder. Uh, knowledge puffs up. There's a lot of people who have a lot of um, symbols and letters after their name who will spend all eternity in hell because they're so smart. See, knowledge puffs up. 
If, it, if it's not related to Christ, it puffs us up. And on the scale of eternity, most knowledge weighs in as completely meaningless. See, I can know who the president was in 1803 or in 1862 or 1907 or 1921 and not remember where I'm driving to in my car. I mean, it kind of is abstract. I can know how to read a blueprint from my house and not know my wife the way God wants me to. I can know all the plays for coaching my kids' little league team and not even really know my kids. I can know how to cook the most exquisite dishes with all the fancy French names and not know who in my church community is hungry. Earthly knowledge puffs up. It is not God's plan. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to get into the heart of the message in just a minute, but I want to share this verse with you, and I hope you'll latch on to this. If there's one verse from today's message that you could grasp and grab to use this week in your life, I hope this will be the one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 2. Look what Paul says. I love this verse. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you. Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I determined not to know some things. There are things I didn't need to know, I didn't want to know. And if we're going to get the message God has for us today, we're going to have to determine right up front not to know some things. Now, there are some things that God really doesn't have any desire for you to know. He doesn't want you to know. In fact, when God instructed Adam and Eve in the garden, you know what? He told them everything they needed to know that was related to perfection, goodness, and what was right. He said, don't eat of that tree right there. You don't need that knowledge. Remember which tree it was? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as they ate that, they had the knowledge of evil. And now we have that knowledge too. Sin entered into the planet. And now we have pain and trouble and excess and all the things that go on. Because we determined that we needed to know what was bad for us. And Satan's still telling that lie to people today. God just doesn't want you to enjoy life. God just doesn't want you to know how much fun life is. Do you know that generation after generation after generation, people still fall for the same lie of the devil? It happens again and again and again and again. And so Paul said, hey, I determined. I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about him, the person of knowledge. Person of knowledge. And you know, it's by the time that he was 10 years old, Saul of Tarsus knew the first five books of the Bible. Not talking about their names. He knew every word of their texts. You say, oh, wow, big deal. Have you ever read Leviticus? Paul knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, every word of them by heart. 
By the time he turned 14, he could quote the rest of the Old Testament too. As a teenager, on top of that, he could recite the list of over 600 Jewish ceremonial laws. He knew all the list of the religious traditions. He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. And yet the Bible says in Acts 9 that as he traveled on the road to Damascus and saw a bright light from heaven, you know what his first question was? Who art thou, Lord? Who are you, God? Who are you? See, he knew all about the Lord, but he didn't know the Lord. He knew all about who God was, but he didn't know God in a personal way. Last Sunday, we looked at Philippians 3. I'd like to go back there for just a minute this morning, if you will. Not just as a review, but I want to go a little bit further in that passage. Philippians chapter 3. And you may, may remember that Paul, um, because he had determined not to know anything but Christ, he counted everything he had lived for and learned his whole life. He said it, not me. In verse 8, he counted it as dung. And last week, we said that the Greek word in verse 8 is the word scubula. You may remember that. Perhaps the most foul word in the scriptures. And Paul said, everything in my life up to this point, I had to count as scubula. But let's look at some of what he was talking about. Philippians 3, verse number 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul, at this point in his life, said, it's all loss. It's all scubula. I don't need any of it. I just need Christ. And look at verse number 8 again. He said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of what? The knowledge of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then I want to get to verse number 10. Because the excellency is attached to the super knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 10. That I may know him. That I may know him. It has to be personal. He said, I may know him. And it also has to be in a person. That I may know him. I read the other day that Denver Broncos quarterback Tim Tebow has over one million followers on Twitter. There are people that know when and where he was born. They know where he went to high school. They know his statistics while playing college football. They own his jersey, but they don't know him personally. He's never spoken to them. David ever spoken to him. It is an artificial relationship. Here's what I fear. I fear that the relationship that so many people have with God 
is the same artificial relationship. They go to church, they own a Bible or five Bibles. They can recite a couple of scriptures. If he had a page, they would follow God on Facebook. They would be his fan on Twitter, but they don't know him. Just some facts about him. We live in a dangerous time because there are a lot of artificial relationships. There are a lot of electronic relationships going on. And I urge you today, make sure you have a personal God. Make sure that you have a super knowledge of God. Not facts about him. Make sure you know him. It's going to factor in huge in eternity. I remember as a kid, a young kid, probably five, six years old, I could tell you the name of all the books in the Bible in order, forward and even backward. We used to have contests where we would say the books of the Bible backward and time ourselves. Now, we also, for fun, we watch the water tower rest sometimes too. Um, you guys are you're no fun to be with. I, I try so hard to help you have fun. Um, but I could have told you the names and the ages of all the patriarchs from Genesis. I could have told you what the Ten Commandments were in Exodus. I could have quoted to you hundreds of Bible verses. I knew all about God, but I didn't know Him. Everything I knew meant nothing if I didn't know Him. It has to be personal in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul said that I may know him. But then look what he says next in Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So we see the power of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 24 says this. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. And well before philosophers came up with the phrase, knowledge is power, God had already said it. We've talked about where super knowledge begins. It begins with the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge in another passage. And according to God, it's this simple. If your knowledge is not grounded in God, it's not really knowledge. It's empty. Jesus said it another way, and you've heard this one before. Without me, you can do nothing. See, Paul wanted to know Christ personally. But he also wanted to know the power of resurrection. The power to make that which is dead alive. I love John 5, verse 24. Here's what it says. He that heareth my word. And believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Do you know every time you give the gospel, you are sharing the power of knowledge, the power of resurrection. I want to live and serve a risen Savior. Knowing that someday the miracle of resurrection will apply to me. See, knowledge says there's a God. You know, there's possibly a resurrection. Um, there's this afterlife, and 
it's heaven and some people talk about hell and there's all these different things. Here's what super knowledge says. I know I will see him as he is. I don't think it. I don't worry about it. I don't wonder about it. I know in whom I have believed. And Job said, after the skin worms destroy my body, I know that in my flesh I will see God. I know. There's a super knowledge. And when you talk to your coworkers and your extended family and your friends, they say, well, it's nice that you have a God to believe in. It's really nice that that's working for you. And uh, I've learned some things about the Bible, too. And I know some things. And there's all these contradictions. I love it when they say, huh? I usually say, yeah, which, which ones are really on your heart? Which ones are they that bother you the most? Those contradictions in the Bible. Well, I've just heard there's a lot. Well, which ones have you heard about? Well, you know, my professor just said there were a lot. Well, which ones did he talk about the most? Well, you know, he just seemed to think there were a bunch. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. See, there's a lot of people who wear this badge of knowledge. I know, I know, I know. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to throw off the badge of human knowledge and embrace super knowledge. Quit knowing about this life and know about him. Know about that life. That's the power of resurrection. The power of knowledge. But then we get to this fourth part, and this one is where I want to spend a couple minutes because it it really could be a struggle, and we call it the paradox of knowledge in your notes. We get to Philippians 3.10, this last part, and we're confounded a little bit. Look what it says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and, wait for it, the fellowship of his sufferings. God, I want to know you, and I want to know your power, and I want to know how I can suffer. Well, that's a great thing, isn't it? God, I want to know how I can suffer for you. I I want to be made conformable to your death. I want to die like you did. And until you break it down, this is kind of like a paradox. It seems like super knowledge contradicts itself. God, I want to know how to go from death to life. But I also want to know how to go from life to death. And Paul wanted to identify with Christ in every way to imitate Christ in every way. That's what super knowledge does. It lives completely under the shadow of a God reality. Jesus said in Mark 8, actually look over there with me for a minute. Mark chapter 8, I want you to see this. If you have a Bible or somebody next to you has a Bible, I hope you'll look at this scripture that we're going to look at right now. Mark chapter 8. And Jesus really... I think comprise this statement. This is really what knowledge is. Mark chapter 8, verse number 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Now look what he said. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we know that one. But look at verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels 
the same shall find it. You know what super knowledge of God says? There will come a point when following God is going to cost you something. There's going to come a point in time, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, where it is going to cost you something. See, Jesus is my Savior. I hope he's your Savior too. He did something for me. My salvation cost him everything. But he's also my Lord, and I want to do something for him. Sometimes, even though we're sincere, even though we are looking at our faith, sometimes we do it from a human point of view. Go back in the same passage. And uh, Jesus had been talking and saying, Hey, um, who do folks think I am? And, and I don't know if you should ask that at your work, but Jesus asked the two disciples, Who do people say that I am? And uh, they, some say you're you know, this guy, and some say you're the prophet, and some say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. And Peter said, look, it's pretty simple. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter was all excited about this statement he had made. And Jesus began to teach right after that. and said, listen, here's why I came. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be murdered by the chief priests. And I want you to look at what Peter says. Pretty interesting. Look at verse 32. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Jesus is called aside by Peter. Can you imagine this? The Son of God, the Messiah, is called aside by this ignorant fisherman, and Peter starts to lecture Jesus and say, Jesus, hold, hold the negative talk. Things are positive here. We've got a good vibe going here. Don't be talking about the death and the persecution and all these things. Leave that out. And Jesus gave some of the harshest words he's ever given in verse 33. He said this to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, wouldn't that just be fun, if you were one of the disciples, to be called Satan? By the Savior. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when we look at our faith, we do it from a human point of view. Jesus said that the kingdom is not based on the things of men, but the things of God. Super knowledge makes us go after him. And deny ourselves and follow him. The people who do not live under the knowledge of God do anything they can to save their lives. But they still lose them. This is what Jesus says in verse 35. Is there anybody anywhere that doesn't want to save his life? People clutch on to whatever they can get to save their lives. Vitamins are a $2 billion industry. Why? Because people want to save their lives. Exercise equipment, huge industry. Not only the first time, but the second time at garage sales. Why? Because people want to save their lives. And people go to surgeons and they go to doctors and they talk to this person or that person. And there's home medicine and homeopathic and 
stuff on the internet and you can Google how to remove warts and there's 5,000 ways. Because people want good lives. They want to save their lives. They clutch anything they can to save their lives. And Jesus said, the things that they clutch onto, they're still going to lose it. No matter what this is, this knowledge in humanity, it's gone. The moment you die, all human knowledge is gone. No matter what it is you clutched, held on to. I find it so interesting that doctors who know the human body in great detail die just like the rest of us. Surgeons, vitamin addicts, and physical trainers, they all die. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now look what he says next. For what shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus says, what would you give for your soul? What would you give for your soul to have eternal life? I know the answer. You would give anything. You would give everything. Jesus says that in reality, you value your soul more than all the things you live your life for. One day, you're going to give account of your life, and so am I. And here's my question. What will you have held on to that is so very important to you right now It's going to cost you for all eternity? Our theme passage is written by a human author named Peter. You know, Peter tried to hang on to something that he was going to lose anyway. The night before Jesus' going to be crucified. Peter's warming his hands by the fire and a teenage girl says to him, you're one of the ones that was with Messiah. You were with him. No, not me. I wasn't with him. Somebody else says, yeah, I saw you. You were with him. Another one said, you speak hillbilly Galilean. You were for sure with him. No, I wasn't with him. You know what Peter did? He tried to hold on to something. You know what it was? He didn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want to identify with Christ. And he held on to this. And guess what happens to anything you hold on to? You lose it anyway. Some of you won't submit your life to Christ because of pride. And you're holding on to it. I don't want anybody to think that I'm not a Christian, so I'm not going to submit my life to Christ. And for all eternity, you will lose whatever this is. Some people hold on to money. Some people hold on to things. Some people hold on to their career or their retirement or their family even. Things that they will lose the moment they die. Be gone. Now, see, Jesus gives us super knowledge right here. He gives it to us. Do you know that there are almost 7 billion people on the planet Earth today? And still, most of them, even the ones who know God, still live for one of these, whatever it is, something that they can clutch, that they can hold on to. And Jesus said, the moment you release all of this, you get me. 
Paul said, I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. And Peter, who held on to his own pride, denied Christ. You know what later? He got the chance to be crucified. And when he was crucified, he begged them to crucify him upside down because he was not worthy to die like his Savior. See, he had learned a lesson. He said, I'm not holding on to anything. There's nothing left in me. It's all for Jesus. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You have the opportunity to lose something today that you're going to lose later anyway for the sake of something much bigger than yourself. If I could boil it down to just a few sentences, the whole message, say this. You can either die of something, like everybody else, or you can die for something. See, that's what Paul wanted. That's the effective super knowledge. Oh, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. But I realize that means I will also know suffering. And so I choose to bear a cross. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Christ will eventually cost you something. But refusing to follow Christ will cost you everything. It'll cost you eternity. My question today is this. What is it that you're holding on to that you won't give up? Someday you're going to lose anyway. We all do it. Yet super knowledge says, Christ, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. I want to know your power. I'm willing to suffer. Where are you at in your life today? Let's bow in prayer. As we bow, I'd like to just give you a simple invite today to bring whatever.